Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty. Oh. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Mark LaRanger of Bravo. Welcome, Mark. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Scott. And looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So we've known each other for a couple of years. I've known about Bravo for a couple of years. And you've worked with some of the Cruise clients, and that's why I wanted to have you on. But maybe you can kind of tell the audience, like retrace your career a little bit and tell them how you found Bravo. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose with all the gray hair I have, it's a, it's a long story. I'll try to, I'll try to make it short. Um, uh, you know, I went to, you look super young on, uh, since they don't have video, you look great. You don't <laughs> have to worry right. about there we go. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, yeah, I just got out of college, you know, a uh, serial founder and, um, a couple of big exits in everybody about now. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. So, so, uh, you know, I went to undergrad, uh, for engineering. I was making engineering undergrad, uh, I went to school for business right after that because I, I didn't see myself as a practicing engineer. I, I sort of had a different vision for my career path, but the vision wasn't very clear. Uh, and my first job out of grad school was actually working at MIT in the technology licensing office. So universities across the country, research institutions, they get a lot of money from the government to develop uh, basic research. Uh, and some of that basic research becomes inventions that can be commercialized. And so my first exposure to the startup world was actually in like in real sort of hard technology startups, uh, startups that were coming out of MIT that were licensing intellectual property and, and raising a bunch of equity and then trying to build a business. And what was really interesting about that at the time was it was obvious that, you know, if you were building a technology company from research coming out of MIT, it might take 10 years to get something from the bench yeah. into like the hands of consumers and users doctors, whatever those technologies may be, whether it's uh, display technology for screens or whether it's the next biomedical device for people that have a handicap, it takes, you know, 10 plus years. And so it was very obvious to me at the time, like, wow, venture capital is this really powerful way to, to get money into a business, uh, to create some sort of monopoly around intellectual property and technology. And then at some point in the future, you might make some money. And, and so that was my first exposure to startups, but also to like technology commercialization. And, you know, that stuck with me because one of the things that, that we did at MIT was we created royalty agreements. Uh, and so the way you license intellectual properties, you create a royalty agreement. And so if that technology ever becomes commercialized, you get some royalty, some, some sort of slow yep. of revenue as a result of that product being commercialized, but that's way in the future. And the reason I sort of give that broad background about that is because it actually ties into what, what I'm doing right now in a really interesting way. Uh, from MIT, I, I worked in a couple other places, uh, one of which was Square One Bank. Uh, at the time, it was called Square One Bank, it was a competitor of Silicon Valley Bank. I ran the early stage practice there. So I got some exposure to 
sort of banking finance, venture debt, venture financing, which is which is quite different, uh, different part of the different part of the ecosystem, but also an important one. They compete with SVB for people that aren't familiar with them. They're now called Pacific Western Bank. From there, I joined my first startup, which was actually one of my clients when I was at Square One Bank. I joined one of my client companies as chief operating officer. Uh, that company was called Updater. Uh, we did software for people who were moving, helping them update accounts and records, um, selling them oh, through. Um, I, I just moved. We probably use yeah, their software. It's quite possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so we originally went direct to consumer. But what was interesting about that business is it was obvious. You know, timing is really critical, and and being able to get your product, your technology, in front of the hands of people when they're moving at the right time. You know, necessitated us going through other channels. So we built partnerships with realtors, uh, real estate industry uh, partners, and things like that. From there, I met my co-founder uh, about five years ago, my current co-founder at, at Bravo. His name is Sergey Kovalenko. And he and I sort of uh, noodled on this idea for a bit that sort of, for me, tied together a lot of my background, seeing different ways of financing technology companies, but also solidifying part of a hypothesis that I had at the time and that Sergey, my co-founder, also had coming from a very different perspective, which was the world of technology development and, and startups has changed a lot, you know, in the past 10, 15, 20 years. And with these really powerful distribution platforms, and the app stores really are fundamentally this technology distribution platform or this product yeah. distribution platform, um, the development of these platforms makes it quite easy, comparatively speaking, to get a product into the hands of end users, uh, to build, develop, distribute, monetize a product. However, it's really, really hard to scale that. And oftentimes the channels through which you're scaling are very costly. And so the the, the yep. pain points of funding and growing a business from a you know, technology business today, particularly in the app world or e-commerce, for example, are very different than what venture capital as an asset class was created to solve. Venture capital as an asset class was created to help companies commercialize real technology over many, many years, yep. well in advance of the ability to get it in the hands of customers, to actually sell it. And so you have to invest in creating this massive sort of, uh, I would say, a, a, you know, a monopoly of sorts, um, you know, and, and that co- that's yep. very, very costly just to begin to monetize. It's the MIT spin out use case. That's what all venture capital used to fund, you know, back exactly. then. And also like, it's gotten so much cheaper to build a product and easier to build a product that like, like when I was doing venture, I, I worked at Lighthouse Capital, one of the competitors yeah. of Square, Square yeah. One. And like you would, very few people would ever be able to raise money, but if they did, they'd raise like $5 million series A. This is before like angels and seed mm-hmm. funds, you know, were very active. And so like, you either got the money or you didn't. And once you got the money, you built your product. Now it's like totally different. Like you build your product to get the yeah. money or to get more money, you well, know? Well, exactly. So it's, everything's changed. Right. And the other thing was, you know, again, for these more traditional technology companies, like hard, like hard, hardcore technology, you know, you'd raise 5 million to take it a little bit further beyond sort of the research phase to some sort of a inflection point in like, wow, we can build this a little bit faster and a little bit cheaper. And we can see how this could be used in the future for a product. And then you, you raise another round and, and you're still not generating revenue, right? Revenue is just like this pie in the sky that you, you know, it's going to take forever to get to. And now it's just, that's not the case, particularly in, 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 in software, which, which essentially like apps, games, um, you know, they're, they're saf- software businesses at a fundamental level. Um, you just can, you can yep. distribute those um, much, much quicker. You can build much cheaper. Uh, it just even something as simple as it seems so simple now, but like, um, you know, AWS companies had to build their own servers or like physical infrastructure, oh, yeah. you know, uh, and that was expensive, by the way. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, we used to finance a lot of servers at yeah. Lighthouse in the early, early days, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, the, the sort of the, the long winded story is that like each step of, of my career, I was I was sort of in the world of startups in one way or another, observing how they were launched, how they how they grew how founders capitalize their businesses, different types of funding, whether it's equity, 
uh, debt, non-dilutive, sort of you name it, royalty-based funding, for example. And and you know when I met my co-founder, he had this idea that like God, you know, you have access to all this data. He came from sort of an engineering perspective, but also as as an angel investor, he said you have all this data. You could build some sort of a credit score for these businesses in real time. And if you can build a credit score, that means you can understand risk. And if you can understand risk, you can price risk. And if you can price risk, well, you can probably do it a lot cheaper than equity investors because they can't price risk. So they just try to take a huge chunk of the company, yeah. right? And so it's this yeah. really interesting yeah. logical sequence that he was going through from a different perspective that he had. Uh, and I was like, well, how do we productize this? How do we make this, you know, sort of work with the, the systems that we're building around? Uh, and, you know, and and we came together with with Bravo and, you know, about five years ago and, you know, we've been building building this business ever since both of us being technologists first and, and sort of finance uh, sort of people second. Um, you know, we've always leaned more into the, the technology and the product side of the business in terms of um, where we love and where our passion lies. And so, uh, you know, we build, we build software to enable financial products that we think are, are the right products for businesses, you know, in, in this technology space and in, in, in these verticals in which we're operating. That's really amazing. It's a great story. And like for people who don't know, like your venture debt experience at Square One Venture debt was like kind of an iteration, like in the same way that venture equity wasn't isn't a great fit for a lot of companies. Venture debt isn't a great right. fit either. And you've kind of like fine tuned it. Like I have a lot of respect for what you built because you've taken like a pretty chunky part of the market and said like we can build a custom solution for you people. And I think the really other cool thing is like the App Store has really democratized software sales mm -hmm. or, or game sales and so the long tail of like all these games and apps is just humongous. You right, know? right. So you guys have a pretty big market opportunity where like maybe a traditional VC would have looked at it five years ago and not saw that how big it was. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, it's like a 300 billion market worldwide. Like, you know, app developers, mobile apps and mobile game developers, $300 billion worldwide between app store, app store revenue and, and ad revenue. Yeah. And there is a massive long tail and, and the challenge with any sort of funding for long tail, whether it's whether it's non-dilutive, whether it's bank financing or VC, is it's impossible to identify those businesses scalably, but also the transaction costs are generally very high when you're doing manual diligence. When you're totally. doing things manually, totally. the transaction costs are very high. Yeah. So whether it's equity or or venture debt or bank finance, those types of businesses have been built around a belief that they have some unique insight in, in the way they analyze things, yeah. but it's like gets down to the, the a human uh, human level of analysis and due yeah. diligence. And and you just can't service a smaller businesses with, with traditional types of funding doing human due diligence. The transaction costs are too high. Yeah. And so you have to build massive automation. And that's really, again, where, where we approached solving this problem was to start first with as much automation as possible and then say, well, okay, now we can service the long tail. Who else needs these types of products? And, and in fact, as, as we've proven, you know, our platform is incredibly scalable for companies regardless of stage. Uh, and so when you say like the you know, VCs are fit a certain segment of the market or venture debt might be the right fit for a certain segment of the market, you know, our smallest customers are doing as little as $10,000 a month in revenue. And our largest customers are doing three or four or five million a month in revenue. Wow, that's amazing. So, so, so like it's a really, really massive market opportunity in terms of like these types of uniquely structured products for a very, very specific set of verticals, they meet the needs of companies at every stage of their growth. And, yeah. and every stage of their growth might include raising equity at some point in time. Yeah. But rather than having to raise 10 million, maybe they raise five. Uh, and maybe they sell half as much of their company they otherwise would. And all of that equity is going into building enterprise value. They're raising equity, not just for spending money on marketing, uh, but they're raising money purely to build enterprise value, technology, yeah. product, people. 
and they can use Bravo complementary uh, funding to, to sort of extend their runway. But in the, same, in the same notion, many of our customers never raise equity, never need to raise equity, never want to raise equity. And so there's many different definitions of success for our customers. And it really is, it depends on what the entrepreneur wants to accomplish. Yeah. You know, um, we see different, different sort of visions for success in the different geographies in which we operate. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we fund customers in, in over 25 countries throughout uh, US, Europe, and, and, and certain other jurisdictions worldwide. So, you know, different entrepreneurs, different places, different sort of perspectives on what success looks like. And, and for us, it's, it's um, trying to have the product suite that meets their needs at different stages is, is really sort of um, is what we're all about. Yeah. Well, the, you said a lot of amazing stuff there. One of the things you were talking, we, before I turned on the mics, we were talking about how global Bravo is. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought of it this way, but maybe just explain why like your global presence is actually, what, is it even bigger than the United States presence or growing faster? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the the, the mobile app ecosystem, the, the mobile app economy is a global one. You know, Apple and Google, um, uh, iPhones and Android phones are in the hands of people all over the world. And many of them interface with technology. The, the apps are using through the app stores, whether it's Google Play app store or the, the Apple app store. In Asia, there's there's other Android app stores, but but Apple ha, has a dominant position as does Google Play. Not only are the end users all over the world, but the developers are all over the world as well. As we know, building technology companies and, and investing in technology companies, there's a treasure trove of, of engineering talent in Eastern Europe, for example. You know, in in, in Europe as well, in in India, in Asia, um, there's great talent all over the world. The the challenge, and we talked a little, about, a little bit about this in terms of the long tail. The challenge is the discovery. How do you find people who are building cool things and and sort of get you know financing funding in their hands? Well, again, the app stores are this incredible discovery platform. So you can be a developer in the Ukraine and build an app totally. and launch it in the app store, and you're building a really good business. Yeah. Traditional venture capital, traditional finance would never have found that Ukrainian developer, yeah. Yeah. but because you know we can find them through the app store through the presence of the app store, um, you know we made a we we took a mandate as, as still a relatively young company to expand our reach outside of the U.S. and to work with companies in as many jurisdictions worldwide as possible. We started with Europe. And, and so, as I said, yeah, it's over 25 countries now that we support. This is this is developers that are incorporated as businesses outside of the US. Um, more than 50% of our total customer base or our total fund, funding volume wow. now goes to entrepreneurs outside of the US. And I, I think- that, um, Congratulations on that. That's, that's really thanks. cool. Yeah, I, I think it's reflective of the market, but also just the fact that like, you know, we believe that if, if you can reduce transaction costs, if you can automate the system, then, then the cream rises to the top, right? And, and so this democratization of, of access to capital, if you build good products, if you monetize your products, if you understand how to grow a business, uh, you shouldn't have to be in any of these sort of pockets of the world where the VCs think everyone exists, right? You shouldn't yeah. have to know someone uh, that works at a VC firm. Uh, you know, more than 50% of our funding goes to non-US businesses, but what's also really cool is more than 50% of our funding all time has gone to women-led businesses. No way! That's like, more than fifty percent. That that's more amazing. Percent, yeah. Be, because again, it's 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 purely data driven, right? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. You know, so long as you're in a country that we can support, it doesn't matter. Like your education background, if you've built a product, if you've got a business, if you're monetized, if you know how to grow that business, you know, the rest doesn't matter. And as as it turns out, when you when you sort of remove those barriers and those biases of people that think they know how to evaluate a business. As it turns out, as I said, more than more than fifty percent non-US and more than fifty percent women have received funding from Bravo. That's incredible. Well, we're a woman-started business too. Vanessa Cruz is my wife, started Cruz Consulting. So I have tons of respect for you for doing that. That's really, really cool. Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruz Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to Chart Hop. Chart Hop is one of my 
favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say like it brings transparency to your organization. And so, you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company. And so you can click on the chart out profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is ChartOp has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company will look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartOp. Check it out, ChartOp.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it. And I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. So we talked about, you've kind of started in the app stores because that was like the immediate type of op- opportunity there. But again, before we turn on, the, sometimes we turn on the mics a little late. We turn on, let's recap this conversation. There's also like a pretty huge opportunity in other payment systems besides Apple and, and Google, right? The app stores. Yeah, look, I mean, using technology to automate sort of risk underwriting and then providing financing through sort of connected platforms Um, This is very extensible. And there's other companies in the market that are doing this in other verticals, for example. Um, What you need to really do is is you need to be able to sort of connect to data systems. You need to understand those data systems. You need to be able to interpret that data in real time. Um, You have to understand how the payment systems work as well. And then at a fundamental level, there's there's a little bit of of secret sauce. And, And for us, the secret sauce is not just looking at like the flow of payments and the flow of, of, of money into um, Facebook for ads, but also into the way that end users interact with product. Because mm. like for technology businesses, right? And app, uh, mobile apps, mobile games, even heck, B2B software, right? For technology businesses, of pretty much any kind, software businesses, engagement with the product is this precursor to revenue, right? Revenue is yeah. like consequence of engagement. If you can actually look at this engagement layer, which is really what we've built at a fundamental level, you understand how end users engage with the product, how that engagement changes over time. You can understand not just what they're doing today, but what that business will do in the future because they're wow. driving end user value. Uh, and, and again, you can apply that same type of logic to lots of different businesses uh, in you know throughout the technology ecosystem. So you guys are looking at like, I'm a hypothetical, but how many times people log in and actually play like a game or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah ret- like retention. Wow, um, that's crazy. Retention is, is, is a really, really critical uh, metric for app businesses. It's, it's day one retention, day seven retention, day 30. We think about, like, we talk about apps as like this one vertical, but it's really many different types of businesses, right? So there's mobile games. Totally. You could download a mobile game played on the subway. That's a like a hyper casual game that has one set of game mechanics, or you download a meditation app with an annual subscription. The monetization, the engagement, everything's totally different. You know, we've built systems to interpret all of this information as it as it applies to the business models that our customers have. Everything from your wow. annual subscription meditation app to a hyper casual game that someone plays on the subway. But the shared properties there, uh, you know, the the app stores, the analytics systems, the payment systems, those are really important for us to to sort of automate the yeah. data collection and data interpretation. Then you just have to apply your own logic to what that means from a sort of a risk management standpoint. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some experience in there too, because you guys have been doing this for five years. So like, you probably, like any lender, yep. you learn hard lessons sometimes, but that's, it's like paying your tuition. And then you figure out, oh, <laughs> we shouldn't have done that yeah, one. Yeah, you know, or, yeah. You know, you, you can probably make your algorithms a lot better, faster than a norm, like in your example of like the traditional venture debt model, where like it takes years for someone like me or you to like really learn how to underwrite a company and the feedback loops 
are really slow because you're waiting for this company to like right. execute, execute, execute. Meanwhile, the app world or the gaming world, like you're getting feedback with on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, yeah. you know, so you can learn. It, it takes tremendous amounts of data to sort of build these algorithms, these learning algorithms, but that requires the ability to not just connect to that data, but to interpret it. And, and again, being a technology company first, that's really where we focus most of our time and energy. Um, and, and so it's put us yeah. in a position now where we, we, we can do that in, in really, really cool and interesting ways. Um, and it's just very different than any traditional type of funding or financing. So you've got the app, the global app stores, then you've got like the stripes of the world and other, are there other ecosystems that you look at that are like that you're playing in now that are just, well, yeah. So because we have such a, a really strong brand position in, in the mobile app world, we're really the global leader in, in non-dilutive funding for app businesses. And this is mobile apps and mobile games. That's such a huge market that, you know, we're still a relatively young company. We like to maintain our focus, right? Uh, it's very important as founders, as you know, to like be focused on doing what you do and doing it better than anyone else in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, however, because of what we built, because we believe the the models that we built are extensible, we're always you know looking at other ways to engage with companies that need funding that may not be right up in in the sweet spot. And, and this is an ongoing basis. As a founder, you're always trying to expand your addressable market, right? So for us, you know, a Stripe is an obvious extension because many of our customers who monetize through the apps, they also monetize through Stripe. And so you know we have an yeah. integration with Stripe right now. Um, you know, and, and we we also offer you know pretty complex analytics for our customers because we. We're pretty good at, at looking at data and interpreting it. We we figured we would share that with them. Um, so you know we have we have a Stripe integration right now, and, and so they can see their revenue from the app stores right next to their Stripe revenue. And so it's it's logical that we would want to find ways to to fund um, you know based upon their Stripe earnings as well. Yeah. To, to be very open, Stripe has launched their own financing uh, solution, and 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 what you're seeing is more and more of these platforms themselves are are finding ways to to sort of create financial tools to help founders build their businesses more efficiently. You know, again, the benefit of, of our platform is that we see all of those systems, right? So if you're earning, yeah, say, right, yeah. and so if you're earning money yeah. just from Stripe, you might get some revenue, you know, some financing from Stripe, but it's only based on your Stripe revenue. And in most cases, once yeah. companies grow, they'll start, you know, diversifying the ways in which they sort of can monetize. And so, uh, you know, e-commerce is that because the payment they diversify because the payment, like the cost of payment transactions, become prohibitive or. Or is it just because they go to a bunch of different channels, and so that it's like different channels? It, it's it's typically different, particularly like um, it's typically different channels. So so you can you could look at that through the lens of a of a game developer. A game developer may may have mobile games. They might also have PC games. They mm -hmm. might be distributing that through a platform like Steam, for example, or they may be building um, you know console games. Um, and so the, those are the different platforms from which they are monetizing, right? For like a D 2 C brand, for example, um, they might start with um, you know Shopify, but then they, they they start launching on other platforms or going direct through web. Uh, you know, you name it, it. It's usually a matter of as you grow, you start to diversify. Uh, the the transaction costs can be prohibitive as, as well. You know, the, the there are different payments gateways that if you have certain level of scale, you can reduce your cost. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Then you might want to keep some of that flow on 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 Stripe, for example. You know, yeah. as as a you know advisor on the accounting and, and finance side that, that you know you guys provide, I'm sure you're always trying to help your customers think through those things as well. And, you know, there's trade-offs between convenience and the cost of, of transactions or the cost of funding. You know, we, we Bravo and, and a company like Stripe win on convenience and, and, and flexibility. When you have a certain amount of scale, sometimes you can find other solutions, but, you know, evaluating that trade-off is always sort of part of a conversation of any mature business. Totally. And, and for our companies, a lot of times, they're growing so fast that it's like, doesn't make sense to optimize that yet because it's just like, it's distracting, but there'll yeah. be a time 
a year, two, three years out where it does make sense to optimize it because the numbers get big enough. You know, I'm even yeah. thinking about that stuff internally at Cruise right now because like Stripe, you probably know this, but Stripe has a lot of different fees they're starting to add on, on top of yeah. everything. And it's like, Hey, wait a second. What's going on here, Stripe? So, I mean, yeah. they, they got to get, they got to do their IPO too. You know, they got to generate more income. And so that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Look, and I think that uh, the, the nice thing is, is we live in a world where, where you, you have a lot of options and, and that's my philosophy for building our business as well to, to help founders have optionality, right? Um, historically, there wasn't a lot of option optionality when it came to funding a technology business. You had to just raise venture and then raise some more venture. And by, by the end of it, you've sold uh, you know the majority of your company uh, and your outcomes are very binary. You either crash and burn or you have a really huge outcome. Uh, we think optionality is really healthy. Uh, whether you're picking a vendor for payments gateways or whether you're you know deciding which funding path you want to take for your business or if there's multiple paths, you know we provide a lot of optionality for founders again at every stage you know and it's not just about one or the other. Bravo, you know some of our customers have never raise equity. some have raised 20, 30 million dollars in venture, but they still see value in, in yeah. having access yeah. to cheaper non-dilutive sort of yeah. automated capital solutions. Thanks so much. That's really well, really well said. I think it's actually a great place to end it right there. This has been a really great conversation. Like I think the optionality and just retaining more ownership as you go, especially at the early stages, before you take that like angel check, if you have the ability to tap into something like Bravo, then it like you give away most of your company at the first two stages, like the first two checks, seed and series A. And so if you can mitigate some of that, you end up with just like way more ownership in your startup, even if you take venture funding. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, if you put, I, the, the way I usually put it for some of our earlier stage customers is we charge cents on the dollar. So you pay cents on the dollar for the funding from Bravo. We have a couple different funding products. There's different risk profiles, different durations, but it's ultimately cents on the dollar. So let's just say it's 10 cents on the dollar, for example, right? If that particular funding product helps you stretch your runway two or three months, and then a few additional inflection points, uh, better CAC to LTV, uh, you know, your first 100,000 active paying subscribers, whatever those inflection points are, that could correlate to millions of dollars in enterprise value. Yep, yep. So in other words, you've paid cents on the dollar for millions of dollars in enterprise value because you were able to sort of stretch out your runway. You were able to hit a few more proof points for your business. And and rather than being a, a 7 million pre-money or a 10 million pre-money company. It, and you paid a few cents in the dollar to get there. Like it's that's the, that's the the value prop that I think. Yeah. I, I, you know, I try to convey to to the to the companies that we're working with who are at the earlier stages. Um, certainly, it's, it's always under important to understand the cost of funding. But at least with this type of funding, it's cents in the dollar. With with equity, it's it could be worth you know not only a huge percentage of your company, but tens if not hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. Um, so, you know, and, and, that's totally true. And also just the convenience and ease. Like one of the things you and I are talking about before from the mics on is like you can take a Bravo loan and then just pay it back like whenever you want mm -hmm. pretty much, you know? So like you don't have to, it's not like this lifelong decision you're making. It's a, it's a dip your toe in the water kind of decision. And you can see what, it, what happens if it feels right. And if you're, if you're getting an ROI on that money. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's totally self-service and it's also uh, non, no long-term commitments, yeah. no penalties for, for stopping to work with us. As convenient and self-service and, and low commitment as our platform is, one of the more rewarding things about building this business is that uh, some of our earliest customers are still customers. Uh -huh. We retain customers for years and years. Yeah. Um, 
because they just really value the flexibility. If they don't need money, they're not taking money. Yeah. But they're going to say, well, why don't we stick around? Because once we need it again, we, we'll, we'll take it. It's, it's, it is. It's very low commitment, very low risk. Uh, you know, you can, you can leave any time. But most of, most of our customers stay for years and years. Yeah, I love it. All right, man. Well, can you tell everyone where they can find you and Bravo? Yeah. So our website is getbravo.com. It's Bravo with two A's. So getbravo, B-R-A-V-O.com. And, you know, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, Certainly uh, feel free to reach out. I'm Mark, M-A-R-K at getbravo.com. Awesome. And I can say that a bunch of the cruise clients have worked with Bravo. Great experience. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. And I think this type of thing makes a lot of sense for a lot of companies. So Congrats! Uh, what you built. Look, I appreciate it, and congrats on what you've built as well. You're you're an entrepreneur yourself, and, and you've got a great company, really, really good brand. And, and um, you know, speaking for those shared customers, they're they're very, very happy with the experience yeah, they have with you guys. So We're appreciate fine. you uh, giving us some time. Appreciate it. Good to chat. All right, buddy. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise founders and friends. It's cruise consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Owen.